You are worthy of physical care. You are worthy of emotional care. You are worthy of mental care. You are worthy of care. I just think when we let that sink in and we really think about our worth in that way, then we're able to receive more from people. Hey family, I'm Coach Steph. And I'm Dr. Angela. We are the Grief Sisters. Together, we lost four family members in a seven-week time period. We know suffering. You may feel lonely, but you are not alone. Let's jump in. Hey family, you are in for a treat today. We are talking with my bestie, Macy Workman. We met in college nearly 20 years ago, and she is still my girl. Here is what Macy would like to share about her life. Macy is a wife, a mom, sister, and friend from Fort Worth, Texas. She has had chronic illness since she was five years young and battled Lyme disease for the last decade. Macy loves to pray over people, listen to them over a cup of coffee, and create space where people can just come and be. And y'all, this is a true gift to everyone who has the honor and privilege of knowing her. Macy, welcome to the Grief Sisters. Um, thank you, guys. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> you really are a gem of a human being mm. and the kindest person that I know. <laughs> to know you is to love you. And it's just so true. Like everyone in my life that I've introduced you to over the last 20 years says the same thing. I tell them she's the kindest person you'll ever meet. And then they meet you and they're like, oh my gosh, you're right. <laughs> I, this is Coach Steph talking and I completely agree. And we were just reminiscing before we started recording and I met Macy a few years ago, as we like to say, <laughs> when you guys were both children in college. Just, it's so amazing to see someone stay the same and stay true to themselves yeah. all these years. Yeah. I appreciate that about you. Mm, thank you. You're welcome. I'd love to start, you know, kind of with the beginning. And it's kind of a fun question to ask, what was it like to be Macy at five years young? And that kind of takes us back also to maybe a hard time in your life. Yeah. You know, the earliest memories I have are of not being well. I mean, my mom just said, as soon as I could tell her, my head was hurting. As soon as I could talk, mm. I would tell her that my head was hurting. I didn't feel good. I didn't feel good. And it just kind of, it was really just from a young age, just really having mainly the, the biggest symptom was migraines, but then it just progressed and just really having no answers and it just growing and growing and being more debilitating and more debilitating. That was, that was just kind of from a really young age. Now we know I was diagnosed about seven years officially with seven years ago with Lyme disease. But now we know that it was, it, we think I got bit when I was young and, mm. and I've had it because they can do specific tests that can tell you kind of, okay, kind of how long you've had it basically. So we now know that that's what it was. And we just didn't have answers like from a really young age. And, and it was just like, it was like going to the nurse's office in elementary school and it's being in a fetal position mm. because my head was hurting so bad or whatever symptom, but usually it was my head and we couldn't find any answers. So, yeah. Mm. That's hard to already have to deal with that sort of thing at a young age and just yeah. to try to be a normal kid. I can imagine that it's like, man, I just want to be a normal kid. Yeah. And I think too, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there too, and maybe teenagers that are listening to this or parents that have young kids that have something that it's really hard to get validated and listened to as a child mm. with pain. They're kind of like, oh, and it's kind of blown off that it's, you know, but it was intense. It was intense, severe pain for a long, long time. And it took a lot of years before I found people that would really listen to me. And, and my parents did, but I mean, like medical professionals. And I can definitely and distinguish the people in my life as far as like teachers and other people in my life that, that believed me and that didn't. That's interesting. 
That's really interesting. Well, I can imagine that that's part of what brings you and Angela and then our other sister, Jenna, together as friends is Angela and Jenna both kind of dealt with medical issues at a young age as well. And I remember both of them having different complaints for different issues that they dealt with. And and sometimes people would or wouldn't believe them. Do, do you remember that, Angela? Yeah, I don't really remember not being believed. That's an interesting thing. I also will say, though, that my own memories of childhood are really few and far between for some reason. But I've heard a lot about, you know, the issues that I dealt with growing up. I was born without middle ear bones, so I was born legally deaf. And that's a story for another day. And then Jenna dealt with leg Perthes disease and, and has her whole life. She still has it similar to you, Macy, just dealing with yeah. chronic pain. And we'll probably, you know, we'll have Jenna on to talk about that because this idea of one, I feel like two things that you're saying that are really important are one, there is a grief that comes with chronic pain that is and so I wonder, and then there's a grief that comes with not being believed mm-hmm. about you not feeling well, especially uh-huh. when you have to constantly shift your schedule and your plans mm-hmm. with people. And so Macy, could you talk a little bit about the grief of having to constantly switch up plans or the grief of pain or both? Well, I mean, case in point, it took us 5,762 times to schedule this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can imagine yeah. how long it takes me to get a haircut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, that, yeah, we yeah. should say that, right? That yeah. what we what we ended up doing, people who yeah. are listening, is yeah. and this is an important thing to realize. If Macy didn't live with what she, you know, she, it's really true. Like Macy, plan we planned this back in what, when was the first time November or something? You know, this huh? is March, yeah. so it's taken several months of, and we planned several different dates. I think three different times we created the outline for this episode back then. And then eventually, Steph and I just said, Macy, whenever you wake up feeling good, one day, will you just text us and we're going to do our best to carve out an hour? And that ended up being the most helpful way to do this for all three of us. And there was a day when Macy felt good a few weeks ago, but we couldn't (laughs) couldn't make it happen. And so I feel like that there's a lesson in that just for listeners is one, if you're someone who lives with chronic pain, to just ask for that flexibility from people when they can grant it to you and to not be afraid to ask for that flexibility. And two, if you love someone, you know, someone with chronic pain, believe them and try to create, try to be agile with your plans with them. Try to create space where you are spontaneous in your ability to hang out with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that advice. I think that goes for anyone who's even in a grief period or having a difficulty, a difficult time in their life is, is having that flexibility to do something with someone when they feel good. To be there at that kind of level is, isn't easy for, for some people with hard schedules, but that really means a lot, I can imagine, to someone who has to really decide that day what you feel like you're able to accomplish or not no yeah I was just gonna say for sure and there's people in my life like you and the people that are really close to me that really know what it's like and extend that grace but then when you encounter other people that don't know your story or don't know why you have to keep canceling or why you might not be able to make it it's really hard because you, we don't want to do that to people. We want to be this person that we feel like we can't be. We want to be on time. We want to be there for the commitments where we say we're going to be there. We want to do this and then this. And and then when you have some kind of illness or something that stops you from doing that or some kind of grief period that you're in where you just don't have control over when it's going to hit, yeah, have control over it. So it really, it's helped me. It's helped me to really try to see other people and give grace for other people too because I know I have been extended grace so many times but then not I also haven't too but I mean like mm-hmm. there's something that people don't know me and then and then it's just it's been hard but it kind of goes back to that thing of it's simple but it's so true you don't know what people are going through you know well, also another thing, this reminds me of another story of, you know, mm-hmm. things not going according to plan and needing to be spontaneous. You met your husband, Chris Workman, in college, and I had the joy of being around both of you at camp when you met mm-hmm. one another and fell in yeah. love, which was super cool. And mm-hmm. I also had the joy of being in your wedding 
but it did not go as planned. Uh, Could you tell, could you talk a little bit about your wedding day and and your relationship with Chris? You were at both of my weddings to the same man. Well, I'll explain this one. So yeah, Ant and I, when we met in college, we decided to go to this, we Googled a youth camp. If there was Google back then, I think we Googled it. And I think they just had like a booth at college. It was old or something. Oh yeah. Maybe there wasn't Google back then. Yeah. And we just found this camp and we're like, cool, let's go there. And so we went there for the summer and I met this cute guy and we started dating and and we thought it would be really fun to get married back at camp and have this big outdoor wedding and everything. And then I had to take a few deep breaths. All right. My oxygen is a little low today. And uh, the night before, I thought it was like a stomach bug. It was like worse than that. (laughs) And and they had a little bit worse. Yeah. And they had to take me to the hospital. I had to have an emergency appendectomy the night before our wedding. And yeah. And so back then people weren't really texting. So there wasn't this really mass way to tell people. So my father-in-law stood at the gate the camp with a sign that said the wedding was off <laughs> i i feel like that needs more of an explanation than I that know, right? <laughs> oh my God, this one didn't work out <laughs> then he's with the with a sign and the whole thing oh, man. and we ended up like exchanging they sent me home the next day from the hospital we ended up exchanging and if you follow me on instagram or facebook there's pictures of, of both the weddings so you can go look because i know y'all are so intrigued right now but you can go look at pictures they rolled me down the next day at the hotel swimming pool and we exchanged our vows in these little bride and groom t-shirts and uh, one of the biggest memories i remember with with Anne just i was still on hydrocodone and she was like you want to put like some lip gloss on or something or just a little, you know, and I was like, no, I'm good. This is, I'm fine. You know, she's like, what about just a little bit? Well, something, no, no. And so, I mean, they rolled me down there in all my glory and we said, I do. And we got married and it's been almost 18 years. So it stuck, but that's what happened. Yeah. And then a month later, a month and a half later, we exchanged our vows again at this church that we were going to up here in the Metroplex. And I, I was not on heavy pain medication. I wore my gown. I had all my organs intact. And that just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but yeah, which that just kind of started off our journey from day one. And we were little babies then. We were oh. 22 of him just taking care of me. A lot of care. I can imagine Chris was probably like, let's get married again just to be sure you remember this one. Yeah. Yeah. Since you were pretty hooked on drugs last time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my brother, I have a twin brother and he's so protective of me. And he was, when we went to this, when it happened, you know, we came around to do the second time. He was, are you sure? Like, I just don't know if this is a good sign. Like, I'm sure <laughs> this is a good idea. <laughs> like, that's the that's the big brother for sure. Yeah, he's. I don't know if this is a good sign, and so and I was like, no, no, we're good. We'll oh. we'll do it twice just to seal the deal. So, oh. well, that kind of brings up a really good point. That kind of for the get go, maybe God was saying like, Chris, this is the girl you're going to have to take care of. So we're going to test yeah. you and yeah. see if this is this is what you're up for, dude. And we'd kind of love to hear maybe like your reflections on caregiving or what do you want caregivers and people who receive care maybe to know, because I know that there's a lot of people out there and whether they're caregiving for someone who is not feeling well or caregiving maybe for an elderly person, that it's a big burden to carry, but it's also, yeah. it's also a privilege, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah people that are, yeah, there are people who care for people with differing abilities. Yeah. All different sorts of circumstances. Yeah. Or caring, caring for somebody that's grieving, that's mm-hmm. just gone yeah. through a really, really big loss. So one of the biggest things that's really shifted my view of care recently in a really beautiful way was I was listening to this podcast with Catherine Wolf. And if y'all don't follow her, she's amazing. She had a really massive stroke in her early to mid twenties and she had a young child and she's in a wheelchair and needs just constant care. I was listening to her podcast and she's being interviewed and she was talking about how her husband has to literally do everything for her every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, like shave her armpit, pick her up, take her to the bathroom, make her meals, just every single day, everything. Massive, massive amount of care. And she was just talking about dealing with that and him dealing with that. 
And she said that one day she just realized that she was worthy of care. And that just hit home to me so deep because Mm -hmm. I just needed so much care. And I had never thought about the fact that I was actually worthy of that care. And I think lots of times when we enter into anything that is really massive, whether it's the loss of something, someone, a diagnosis, just something really traumatic in life, some of the thought that can enter in are, this is going to be too much for people. This, people aren't going to want to stick around for this amount of care that I'm going to need to get through this. Mm. They just aren't. It's going to be too much care. And I really let that sink in. And it just, I just really want to say today, if anybody's listening to this right now that is struggling with those thoughts, if I could just, ah, it makes it incredible. If I could just hold your face in my hand and just say, you are worthy of care. Mm-hmm. You are worthy of physical care. You are worthy of emotional care. You are worthy of mental care. You are worthy of care. I just think when we let that sink in and we really think about our worth in that way, then we're able to receive more from from people. When I heard her say those words and I saw and heard from her story the kind of care that she needed, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm worthy of being taken care of. I really am. Really yeah. Am. So that was really... Mm. Mm. That was really big for me. And it really helped me to accept it more because I think it's just hard to, you know, it's hard to accept the care you need in a situation. And I just, I firmly believe that God designed this circle of healing in Mm -hmm. life for all of us to give and receive. And that's how it's supposed to work. Okay, it's an ebb and it's a flow. And if we give of our story and we give of our vulnerability and we give of where we really are at to other people, then not only are they able to give back to us and we receive, but in turn, they receive healing as well. It's this whole big circle that I believe like God designed to just keep going and flowing. You know what I mean? And I yeah, think- we. We can just yeah. end the podcast there. That's it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That is a word. That is some truth. And that is beautiful and good. And that's whatever we could. We could literally just put a period on it right there. I feel like you're a testament right now to the fact that that those who need consistent care also are givers. You know, even when you don't realize that you have something to give away, you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have a story to share and somebody needs to hear it. As long as you're still breathing, your story is still being written. And that circle of healing that you're talking about, as we participate in it, we realize we discover along the way what we have to give away. There's a lot of power in words, power in touch, power in proximity, a lot of power in in things that we neglect. I was just going to say, you're struggling with not wanting to be in the place that you are at. Then... I would just say to try to do what you can to listen to that voice inside of you to receive from someone else. Because if you if you block those feelings, block the ebb and flow. Like if you say, no, I'm just going to do this myself. I'm going to take care of myself in this. I'm not going to let anybody in. I've got this. You know, it stops the ebb and the flow. It stops the ebb and the flow. And, and if we reframe it, I think too, when I reframed my mindset that when I allow people to help me, that it gives to them as well, that I'm not just, just the receiver, mm-hmm. just the, I'm taking everybody's everything and I'm not giving anything, that by allowing them to help me, I'm, I'm in a turn helping them. You know what I'm saying? It helps yeah. Keep going. It helps me right. keep going. But but if we stop that, if we just say, I can do this by myself, I don't need anybody in this, 
It stops that whole circle because we were meant to do this. And y'all said this before. We were meant to do this with other people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Macy, I think one thing that people might be wondering is if you, if they don't know someone who has Lyme disease or if they yeah. just like heard about it but don't know much about it, they might be wondering what are the symptoms of Lyme disease? What's it like to live with Lyme disease? Could you talk a little bit about your diagnosis? What's it like to have Lyme disease? Yeah, it, it's horrible. Yeah. It's your worst yeah. word. I don't know. There's more awareness that's happening. There's more famous people that are coming out that have had it. Justin Bieber. Hey, Biebs. Shania Twain. Mm-hmm. Lots of other people that are starting to kind of spread. Yeah. The, the way that it works is a lot like cancer in that once you get it, if it goes undetected, it spreads throughout your whole body and can really affect any part of your body. And it's also really, really hard to diagnose and really hard to find a doctor to treat you. So the symptoms are just really, really varied, but there's no symptom that cannot be Lyme disease. Really, I mean, body aches fevers, flu-like symptoms, seizures, just a myriad of things. And so in it and so it just makes it really hard to to diagnose. And it's it's also different for everybody. It affects everybody differently. There's not just one path and also there's not just one treatment for everybody. How did you particularly get diagnosed with it and then what are the symptoms you've dealt with? Um, I don't I had a friend that had it and And then I had another doctor that I was seeing that suspected that I had it. And then this friend that I had put me in touch with a Lyme specialist and I was able to finally get in to see him and get tested. I, mine started with the migraines actually in 2009 from the fluid that had built up from now we know was the bacteria from the tick bite. So the migraines were the number one thing, but then I started having extreme body aches, fatigue, and then I started going into just having convulsions, not seizures where I was unconscious, but conscious convulsions, heart racing. Yeah. And so I found this doctor and my friend that got me to that doctor has actually passed away. He passed away from Lyme. It's just, it's really, it's just a really, you know, a really hard, horrible disease and And when I found that doctor and I kind of got in touch with him and got in touch with this community of other people that had Lyme, it was also just a huge, like we were talking about earlier, I just, I felt so validated because there was these other people that they were, oh, I have that too. And I've gone through that too. And, and then this doctor that was finally looking at me and being, you're not crazy. This is what's going on. You know? Yeah. 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 It was so huge. Being validated is such a huge healing point in anybody's journey. You know? Absolutely. And that validation for me was like, shush. Okay. That is a healing point right there because I've just been waiting for somebody to say, you're, you haven't lost your mind. This is what's going on. Yeah. I think that we have so many people that listen to our podcast that are dealing with hurt and dealing with sadness or dealing with physical pain, whether it's from grief or, or an illness or, or whatever the case may be. And just for you to say that they're worthy of care and that that also showing the importance of finding a community that can sympathize with you and just be a listener. We tell people all the time on this podcast, listen, you may think you're crazy. You may feel crazy, but you're not crazy or we're all just crazy together. Right. Be- because you, yeah. you, your, your brain does shift. Your mind does shift and you have to think of things in a different way and you have to find a new reality. You and I both are moms and I think that even adds another layer of all of those things. How do you take care of someone else when you feel like you need to be taken care of? And I felt that way when my son passed away and her daughter, of course, was still with us in the house. And how do I take care of her when I'm grieving myself and being, being that parent? I would love for you to talk a little bit about being a mom with a chronic illness and and maybe what do you do to care for yourself and for him, your son, in those situations? Well, I mean, as soon as Jonah was born. So when, when Jonah was born is when my health really started to go downhill. Uh, lots mm-hmm. of times when you have an underlying autoimmune disease, it can be triggered. Giving birth and mine definitely was. So even just the first 24 hours, I started going downhill and they had to take him from me and I, I wasn't able to be with him for a very 
for very long when, right after he was born. And it started this journey with me of from the very beginning, having to learn how to let go and Mm -hmm. learn how to give up control. Like when you, when you have this baby and you're in the hospital, I just remember the shock of my life. They like hand you this baby and the nurse kept calling me mom. (laughs) (laughs) Like just kind of like look around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are you is that are you who are you speaking yeah to? yeah my mom left the room i don't know who right. what are you, you're talking about right when i'm not here and she's like here you go mama and i'm like oh so that starts now like we're actually okay it was just such a shock to me that you're like you're on duty mm-hmm. you know you're this is now your thing but then as my health just declined from when he was really young and we had to rely on other people I remember that I had to really come to grips with the fact that I wasn't going to be able to do everything that I wanted to do for him. And I had to grieve that. And then I had to understand that God was really providing everything he needed through all the people that he was putting in our lives. And I had to be okay with that. Like Mm -hmm. I had to lean into that. And I think sometimes as moms, it's really hard to not hold on too tight, like to not just want to have control of everything. But I had no choice but to let go of my control of him because I couldn't, I couldn't do everything for him. And he was always taken care of, but it wasn't always me. It couldn't be me. So I had to just trust and know that on days I couldn't do an activity with him or on days he had to go stay with a friend or something that if he wasn't getting what he needed from me, that God was providing it through other people. Mm. And that's a really, really hard thing to do as a mom because we want to do it all ourselves and we want to provide everything they need and we want to be there. And it was a really hard, it's been a really hard thing. It's not an easy thing to to let go of and go through, but I just had to, I had to trust that. That's a thing. You know what? Oh my goodness. I just feel like Macy... That is a word for not just for people living with chronic pain or chronic illness, but that's a word for all people who are guardians of children. <laughs> like it does take a village. We yeah. don't just we don't just need other people to help us with our children because we can't do everything. We literally can't do everything. Whether we're physically, emotionally, mentally like, able to do everything or not, we really can't. They yeah. need different things from mentors, from teachers, mm-hmm. from spiritual leaders in their life, from other people in our family, from our friends, they need lots of different kinds of people investing in their life. And so I hope that that's that what you're saying really can can find the ears of every guardian of children that are listening is to say it's okay to share the load. And in fact, I think your children Mm -hmm. will benefit Mm -hmm. from sharing the load with other people. If y'all are hearing lots of rain in the background, I don't know if you can hear it, but we're having a sudden rainstorm here, which is (laughs) So you all, we started the podcast and, and coach staff was like, Hey, I have a dog next door and I don't know what's going on. A dog out of nowhere. And Macy was like, I'm hearing a rooster door <laughs> and now I'm hearing rain. And so we just all want you to know that whatever you hear in the background, it's our live. Yeah. It's our live. Yeah. And yeah. this is just how it is. And we're doing yeah. the best we can. <laughs> yeah. And the best we can is good enough. Let me just That's say right. that. It's Amen. a Friday afternoon and the three of us were able to get together and make mm-hmm. this right. happen. And yeah. for the listeners who are listening, we appreciate that you put up with our silliness. And- yes. <laughs> yes, we do. So Macy, you have been recently sharing your experiences of living with chronic illness, chronic pain on Instagram and Facebook and in person. You've always, you've done that a lot, and, but even more. Could you say about, you know, talk about why it's important for for people to share their experiences with, with chronic illness and pain. And what is it about sharing your experience that matters to you? And how can people find you? So this is the phrase that I've written down. This is the phrase that I hold on to when I get really, when I want to enter that space where I don't want to share with people like we talked about earlier. And this is what I say. I say the healing that the communion of shared experiences brings gives us the fuel to move forward. Mm. Mm. 
The healing that the communion of shared experiences brings gives us the fuel to move forward. And I mean, I really felt the Lord pressing on me to share on social media, even though I would have rather stabbed my eye out with a hot poker. <laughs> uh, I did not want, I, I just didn't want to share with the world this part of my life. I'll share with you on my sofa all day, but it's, it's really hard to share out there with everybody and be really vulnerable. But yeah, the, the thing that keeps me going is every time I share something really hard or a really just vulnerable picture of me on my oxygen or in a fetal position or whatever, I get these messages from people that just say, that is me. That is me. I thought I was the only one mm -hmm. or I never knew. Oh my gosh, I went through this. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you guys, everybody's moving forward. Mm -hmm. That's why I think it's really important to hold on tight to what I call the gentle nudgers in our life. And Ange has been a gentle nudger for me. Those people in our life that just say, hey, I see where you are today right here. I see this. What are you going to do to take a little bit of a deep breath so we can get to here tomorrow? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and they kind of gently nudge you to say, I see where you're at. I see you. I love you. Let's cry. We're not going to stay here, though. I'm going to gently nudge you to the other side. And that's what happens with those people that you share your story with. All of a mm -hmm. sudden, you're gently nudging each other to move forward. And then you together are saying, let's just kind of, let's just, let's just like just a little bit of a scoot this direction together. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's, that's why I keep, I keep sharing. And so, mm -hmm. yeah. People can find you on Instagram at Macy Workman, right? Uh-huh. So W-O-R-K-M-A-N. And then, and, and Facebook, it's the same. Macy yeah. Workman, M-A-C-Y. We'll have it in the show notes for you all. We do hope that you'll follow Macy, follow her journey, follow her posts. You'll be so inspired, so moved because the things that she's saying on this podcast, she says in her videos, and it'll just be like the little thing that you needed in your day to do what she's talking. It will be the gentle mm -hmm. nudge. Mm -hmm. I think along those same lines, Macy, when people are deeply suffering, it can feel difficult to believe that life is even worth living. Yeah. What would you say to a listener maybe who feels that way in, in that deep pain and suffering? Oh, um, the two things I would say, there was about a point about a year ago where I was in a really, really dark place and I just didn't feel like life was worth living. And I, I think the two things I would say to someone is one, do everything you can to fight that fiber in your being that is saying not to speak it and find at least one person to say it to. Mm -hmm. Just one person. If that's all you can do, just one person to, to bring it into the light, to really just shine that light on it. That's one thing I would say. And then during that time, I had a friend text me during that time that said, she sent me this text and she said, I just want you to know, this was, this was at a point in my physical journey where I couldn't even walk to the bathroom by myself. I could barely feed myself without help. I mean, I couldn't do anything. And she said, I just want you to know that even though you can't come see me, even though we can't do things together, even though this life isn't what you pictured, that your thoughts and your prayers and just your being has changed my life mm. and is enough and it's needed. I just want you to know that just your being is needed. She sent me that text and I was just, gosh, to have somebody else just say, just you being even if you can't do any more than this in your bed, just your presence being here, I, I need you and it's enough. And that was really, really profound for me because I think when we start to fight off those, we start to have those thoughts of just this life isn't worth living. You know, we're fighting off a lot of thoughts of just, I wasn't able to do what I wanted to do. 
I couldn't be who I wanted to be. This life isn't what I thought it was going to be like. Mm. And that's almost everybody, right? I mean, unless you're like three years old and you've only lived for a little bit, everybody's like, yes. this life isn't yeah. what I planned out. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. just so much value in what you're saying, which is like, it's not what you do or what you say that gives you dignity and worth. You have dignity and worth just as you are in the fact that you were created with dignity and worth. You are a precious being, like yeah. whether you realize it or not, no matter what you're facing. Macy, I'm struck that after, you know, I've known you for 20 years and you have maintained a joy, a deep, sobering, quiet, steady joy for 20 years with this deep, beautiful kindness that you exude all the time and this peace, even that I hear in your voice in this conversation. What would you say are some of the habits that you have practiced, cultivated in your life that have nurtured these virtues of kindness, of peace, of joy? Like, what are the things that keep you going beyond relationships with other people, sharing your story? What are the things in your life that have helped you just to, to be who you are, even in the midst of everything you've gone through? That's really... That's really gracious of you to say that. And I'm really grateful for that and for those words. And I, I mean, I think the only, the, the reason that there's anything still good in me that has come from all of this is because Jesus has touched it, first of all. But I think I realized too that I didn't have a lot of control over all of this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the one backpack that I had control over was if I was going to become an angry, bitter person. Mm. When I say that, I mean, I have all of those feelings and have had all those feelings. I mean, I, I have struggled with being jealous of other people's lives. I've struggled with bitterness. I've struggled with anger. Just all of those really hard, hard emotions. But I realized this is something I have control over. I don't have control over what my body is going to do today, but I have control over if this is going to be the person I am or not. I can decide that. Wow. And then the next step was either I'm going to acknowledge those emotions and work through all of those and do the work to get through them. You not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so then you do the work to get through. <laughs> through them so that you feel them, you work through them, but you don't let that become who you are. And it's a lot of work, but I felt like it was something I had control over and I could do for myself because I said, I already have so much that I'm carrying. I don't want that backpack. I don't want to be that person that I don't want to be miserable because I don't like to be angry. I didn't like yeah. to feel that emotion. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want it. So I just, I tried to do the work as much as possible. And it's a daily thing. And it's not like I did the work, check, I'm done. Like, right, thanks, it's, right. it's still a part of life. But I think just making that decision to do that work is just really, really helpful. Yeah, I think too, first of all, I really appreciate you saying that. I think that's incredibly helpful to people who are listening. The other things that I've heard you talk about a lot of the last 20 years are music and prayer. I feel like they're, both of them are, are part of your ministry to other people or very central to your ministry with other people, the way that you care for others, help them. I'd love for you to speak to you know, the role of music and prayer in your life. And specifically, maybe you could talk about that a trip to Target that you had a few months ago. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, I think. One thing that people need to know about Macy is that she's the person that if you're checking her out, like if you're the cashier at a store like Target, she's going to ask you questions about your life. And before you know it, you'll be like crying at the register and she'll be crying over you because she's, that's her ministry. She has a ministry of presence uh, with people. So Macy, could you talk about, yeah, about yeah. Target and praying and music? Yeah, I mean, I just think, I mean, ultimately, I don't know how else to say it, but then ultimately, I mean, I've been a Christian my whole life, but I, I found God through being in the pit of this lime darkness. Mm -hmm. I mean, nothing is more real than the suffering that I've been through. 
And it's not this pretty, wonderful, beautiful rainbow thing. I mean, I found God by just weeping on the floor Mm. and just saying, like, are you real? Are you here? Because I'm, I'm dying. I'm literally dying. Prayer for me just really, really became real through my suffering. Mm. And and my relationship with God just became really real and authentic. But the same thing with just music and just, I think whenever I couldn't pray or didn't know what to pray or didn't even have the bandwidth to pray, just music helped me pray. Just turning on that music helped me pray. So yeah. And then just a big part of my life is just, I did get to go to Target. I have not been back, but I'm hoping to go back. But just a big part of my life is, is just interacting with people. I just love to be with people. Angie and I have talked about this before too. Everything in my life now, and I wish it didn't take this disease to have done this, but everything in my life, I'm just so aware of it. And I'm so grateful for every little thing like walking around target that day that i posted i hadn't done that in a year and it used to be a staple and when something's taken away from you and you're able to do it again it's like you have these new glasses on and you're like oh my gosh i didn't even know how great my life was (laughs) and it just it's just every little thing when i'm able to walk down the street or when i'm able to do something by myself. I'm so grateful. I am still not driving by myself and I will be grateful for the day when I can blast my 90s R&B <laughs> um, by myself again. <laughs> I know when I do that one day, I'll just cry and I'll just weep and I'll just be really, really thankful for those yeah. those, for those little moments. So that, that target was a, a big, a big day. But then I also said in my post too, though, as I was walking around, it, it made me realize, I thought to myself, was, how many people are walking around this Target? They don't even know that right now I'm actually climbing Mount Everest. Yeah. This is my Mount Everest today. This was huge. But then I thought in my mind, how many other people are walking around Target climbing Mount Everest today for whatever mm. reason? We don't know. Mm. We don't know. They just lost a loved one. They just lost their job. Yeah. They just got the phone call from the doctor, but they're walking around Target buying their milk because they need milk, you know? So it's just, it just gives you these new lenses to really have compassion and to love people because we just don't know, you know? That's true. What a, what a, what a vision. And I think what a great word to use, you know, climbing Mount Everest because all of us who go through those different traumas or difficulties, we do feel alone. We're the only one walking around Target yeah. depressed and upset. And people probably looking at us crazy because I see a razor that I used to buy my son when he first started shaving. And, yeah. and then you break into tears and what is happening? And everyone around is worried that you're going to do something crazy in the middle of the, you know, in the middle of the aisle or something. And so I think having that empathy and having that lens that you say where like there's probably three out of five people at Target are there because they're getting away from something. <laughs> they're either getting away from their life or they're going there to buy something because someone needs something or they're hiding from their family and their kids or they're racing to get something they forgot. There's a lot of a lot of that going on. A lot of people in their own zone, I would say, in a place like that. Well, and then there are just so many people that are waiting that just, well, that not they're waiting because they're not expecting it probably, but they are just surprised and ministered to, cared for when out of nowhere someone sees them in the way that you do. Mm. When you, someone recognizes and really acknowledges them. Asks if you're okay or gives you a nod or, you know, is there anything I can do for you? I think those are just things that we sometimes don't reach out to people that are strangers as much as we we maybe should ask if someone needs help, I think would be would be an amazing way to feel better about yourself as well and what you're going through. We call it in in my company that I work with, we call it sparkling people. And when you sparkle someone, it's like you get what you give. And whether it's on social media and commenting on a post or telling someone that they look great today or 
sending someone a text message. If you're thinking about your mom today, just text her. Don't wait. Or if something else reminds you of someone who enlightened your day, just just reach out and say, hey, I was thinking of you or I was remembering the story that happened and I appreciate that and I'm glad we're friends. That kind of the sparkle that we give to people, we receive it back. That goes back to the caregiving part too. It's really important to recognize the caregiver or the person giving the sparkle that day can need it as much as the person who's receiving it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the smallest things can be the biggest things. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we don't do the small things because we think, oh, it's not going to be that much or it's not going to mean that much. Right, right. Like have this, we have this prayer box in front of our house that we just tell people we have cards next to it. We just say, have this little thing on the front. It says, you know, you are loved. Like if you need prayer, leave a, a note in the box. And I checked it the other day and I pulled out this card and it was just an anonymous person that was asking for prayer. And at the end of the card, he said, I just want you to know this is the best thing that has happened to me all year. Oh, wow. And, wow. And it's just like, it was such a small thing. But yes. I was just like crying and oh my gosh. And like, we just have no idea how the smallest nudge, how the smallest just like bend towards like, I see you mm -hmm. can change somebody's life. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's been my experience with you, Macy, for the last 20 years is just I remember in college, I was going through a really dark period of my own, similar to what you experienced a year ago. And I told you about it and I was crying and just really distraught and in the midst of like just total darkness. But I reached out to you and I told you, you were my roommate in college at the time. And I remember going to sleep and waking up and then seeing you like praying on your knees, like next to my bed. And there was a breakthrough that night in my life, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, it was like such a beautiful thing. And, and so I feel like that your life is a testament to that. We don't, we don't have to do a lot to make a huge impact on other people's lives in the <laughs> sense of like, it, it can be simple in the sense that when I say a lot, I just mean, it doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't yeah. have to cost millions of dollars. It doesn't have to be something that's known by billions of people on Twitter. You know what I mean? You can do one act, one conversation, one night of prayer, one text can shift everything, you know? And that's the thing you have figured out in your life, how to live with chronic illness and pain and also continue to be a ministry of presence in other people's lives by setting up the prayer box outside of your house, by texting people from your bed. You can't walk to the bathroom, but you're texting people prayers, your voice texting them praying over them, sending them songs, encouraging them. When you're at the doctor getting an IV, like you're, you know, praying over the nurses who are taking care of you, talking with them, investing in their lives. When you can make it to Target, you're stopping and seeing people. So if you're out there today and you're feeling like, what do I have to offer? I hope that you're getting inspired by some of the ideas that Macy is sharing today that can make a huge difference in other people's lives that don't cost a lot but can be tremendously important and really can rescue people from themselves. And so, Macy, we want to know what we ask everybody from you. <laughs> How has Joy found you recently? Okay, so here's the thing. I was thinking about this today because we were supposed to do this in November and my answer hasn't changed and knows this about me. I the, One of the biggest things in life that brings me joy is so simple, but it's twinkle lights. In, so Christmas is my time of the year. In fact, one time, I mean, I'm telling you, I've got twinkle lights all over my house, like in my bath. Yeah. But like you open my fridge, they'll be around the milk. Like, I mean, I'm telling you <laughs> And she came home from college. We were roommates one time. And I don't know if you remember this, but she came home from a class one time. And I had decorated our our dorm with twinkle lights and all this stuff. And she was like, is somebody getting married? <laughs> I, re I remember your dorm room. I'm pretty sure I was in that dorm room. And there were more yeah. Christmas. I mean, yeah. I'm, you probably were, if somebody had walked in, you would have gotten in trouble for using all the electricity. <laughs> yeah, it, that was me. That was on me. And it just brings me so much joy just having soft light. And like, I feel like it calms my spirit and just makes me feel all the warm and fuzzy feels. I think twinkle lights and soft light is bringing me a lot of joy right now. In every season, it's also like really consistent. Like I said, it's always around my house. So I just feel this like warm presence. And, and that's 
that will always be, it will be always be Christmas here. Well, Macy, we are so grateful to you for spending some time with us. And we know that oxygen is a tough thing for you sometimes to get into your lungs. We hear, we hear your deep breaths and we just appreciate you taking the time to speak to us and to speak to all of our listeners and just to really speak life into, into their ears today. Yes, Macy, you know, I appreciate you so much too. I'm so glad that we got to make this happen, that people got to hear your truths today. May it go straight to their ears and into their hearts and minds and be a healing balm for their souls. You all, thank you for joining us today, all of your family. We are grateful to you as well, and we are grateful for you. Until next time, let's all try to stay open to joy because seemingly against all odds, no matter who you are or what your circumstances are, joy can always, always find you. Don't forget to head over to our website, thegriefsisters.com. We have a free gift for you. It's a five-day grief meditation audio track that helps you manage anxiety. It includes a 10-page printable journal that walks you through each of the five days and provides a way to help you track each day. You can also find another audio version of the grief meditation track on episode three of season one of our podcast. We are also currently working on a series of resources and small group opportunities that will be tackling various phases of grief. These breakthrough resources will help you take steps to find the motivation you need to move through grief at your own pace but move forward nonetheless. So look for updates on our website for those launches soon. Also, please look for our Grief Sisters book club and support group on Facebook. And remember, it's a we don't care if you've read the book club. Join us anyway. All of the links will be available in the podcast descriptions. Thank you for joining us today, family. We are grateful to you and for you. Until next time, Let's try to stay open to joy because seemingly against all odds, no matter who you are or what your circumstances are, joy can always, always find you.